23 from the New International Version. <clears throat> now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going round half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death.
That's quite a commitment, isn't it? Just watching them going up this aisle. All the crosses there. That's it. Okay, youngsters, those of primary school age, if you want to be heading out for an activity, follow SJ and Rachel. Uh, Jess up there at the back, and they'll be taking you to the long room. Uh, the creche room is open if you've got younger children and you feel you need to take them out, but don't uh, feel you have to. Okay. <coughs> Are you, Hello? Are you switched on now? I think so. Am I switched on? Yeah. Is that okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. That's it. Good. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. Right. Okay. Well, this is Marion. Let's give her a round of applause. Okay. That's it. That's it. Now, you, you might be aware of Marion, particularly if you come in and you see her in the church office, because... Uh, that's where she's often ensconced during the week. How long have you been there now, Marion? Just over a year. Just over, just over a year just that you've been our, our office uh, manager, haven't you? Yeah. And uh, periodically we do something like this time uh, tomorrow, just finding out a little bit of what other people do. Well, I'm doing it partly that uh, with Marion because uh, so often we sort of think about in terms of Rachel, the youth worker, or SJ, the children's worker, or Amy, the pastoral worker, but there's a lot of also going on behind the scenes. So in that 12 months, Marion, what have you enjoyed? <laughs> what have you enjoyed? <laughs> That's it. I've chosen four things. Okay. Say that I enjoyed. So yeah. I am working with an amazing bunch of people, um, and the that you can freely and openly pray for one another and speak about things of God is an absolute treasure that I've not had in a job before. Um, something else that I enjoy um, is a friendship with the lady called Janet. I'm not going to look at her <laughs> because she is uh, for me a, a voice of calm and reason when sometimes things can seem very overwhelming. Uh, the third thing is, people could just come into the office and sometimes they can be people in great need. And uh, it's really lovely because the interface between the practical and the spiritual can get very thin at points and you're just there and you just go and you just pray with somebody. And then you carry on with the accounts and everything like that. So that interface can be very, very thin between the practical and the spiritual. And the fourth one is the thrill of the accounts reconciling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely, yes. That's it, yeah. yeah. So flip the coin. Yeah. What have been the challenges? I'm not going to go into too many of those. No. Um, <laughs> sometimes the challenges are that I can feel exceedingly overwhelmed with the magnitude and the importance of that role. Um, God has removed mountains on many occasions for me. Um, sometimes I feel completely out of my depth and inexperienced. And I haven't got all the answers. And some people think I'm the fan of all knowledge and I'm not. So, yes. <laughs> okay, so, that, so, 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 there's some, so there's some of the challenges. That's it. And um, what's on the agenda for you? As you no, not necessarily this time tomorrow or this time Tuesday, but what's on the agenda for, for, the, for this autumn term for okay, you? Okay, so for autumn, I'm going to be looking at budgets again, which is... Uh, massive thing that Dan just walks with me through and that's incredible um, I need to be getting on top of things like health and safety and some of the legal requirements that we're bound to um, and I'm going to be doing some training with church suite so that I know what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so they're, 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 they're the things. Yeah. yeah, so how can we pray for you in all of that? I'd ask for prayer for wisdom and patience, for a good attitude, for flexibility, and that I would have a word to sustain the people that come in and need some, something from God. Okay. Well, Marion, we're delighted that you're there in the church office. You know, because, yes, you speak about working with an excellent team, but we're just great that we work with you as well. And we want to just surround you and pray for you now. You. Amy, do you want to join me? Is anybody else just like to come and join me? Join us. Come on, Janet, as soon as you've had a, had a plug there. And Mark, that's it. Excellent. Let's, uh, let's just pray for Marion. Let's... Father... We recognise that there are many different roles within the fellowship here. And some are very high profile, but others are hidden away. And Father, we recognise that Marion so often is hidden behind that door that says office. But we thank you for her. We thank you for the smile that she brings to the job, for the welcome, for the ready welcome and fellowship and prayer. Father, we thank you that she is a woman after your own heart and seeks to bring you into all that she does and in all that she is. Father, we recognize that she's come through a tough year where there's been lots going on and lots of challenges and changes, but you have sustained her and you have kept her. And we pray for her as we enter into this new season, Father, we do pray for that wisdom, that wisdom that only comes from you. We pray that each day you would anoint her by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that each day there will be something that will lift her spirits and encourage her and strengthen her. And when she faces budgets and health and safety and, and all those practical things that need to be dealt with, Father, that you will be there alongside her, just giving her the ability, giving her the gifting. Father, we thank you for her, and we pray your blessing now over her. In the name of our Heavenly Father, Amen. So Marion's now going to bring God's word to us. Thanks, Marion. I want to start with the words of him um, as my prayer for what I believe God wants to bring to us today. Um, so I hope you can say amen to the end of this. Christ is the foundation of the house we raise, be its walls salvation and its gateways praise. May its threshold lowly to the Lord be dear. May the hearts be holy that shall worship here. Here the vow be sealed by thy spirit, Lord. Here the sick be healed and the lost restored. Here the brokenhearted thy forgiveness prove Hear the friends long parted be restored to love. May every token here, sorry, here may every token of thy presence be. Here may chains be broken 
prisoners here set free. Here may light illumine every soul of thine, lifting up the human into the divine. Here may God the Father, Christ the Saviour Son, with the Holy Spirit be adored as one, till the whole creation at thy footstool fall, and in adoration own thee, Lord of all. Amen. Amen. So, the account that we had today um, wasn't David's first attempt in bringing, or attempting to bring the ark to Jerusalem. The first attempt, if you know the account, ended in death and failure. It's also written about in 1 Chronicles where we got a lot more information. Saul, who'd been attacking David for years with murderous intent, was dead. Saul's reign was over. He'd been growing weaker and weaker, and David had been growing stronger and stronger. David became king, first over Judah and then all Israel, and he wanted to unite the nation of Israel together, returning the ark of God and restoring true worship. So, he gathered 30,000 men of Israel, many of them his elite soldiers. It was perhaps something of a military display of power and might and victory. The ark... The the Old Testament representation of the manifestation of God was put on a new ox cart, just like the Philistines had done when it was returned to Israel. David employed the ways of men to do the things of God with disastrous consequences. The Hebrew word used here for celebration was one of laughter, irreverence and even scorn. David had become so familiar with the things of God, that he acted in complete disregard for God's desires. The procession arrived at the threshing floor where the wheat is separated from the chaff and God said, enough! Uzzah put his hand out to stop the ark from tumbling as the oxen stumbled and touching the very presence of God in this way cost Uzzah his life. The name Uzzah means strength. This first attempt was very much done in man's strength, in man's way, a display of man's might. God does not share his glory with another. David had defeated Goliath, an external giant, but here at Perez Uzzah, he had to defeat an internal giant. Perez Uzzah what David named that place, means the defeat of might. And defeating one's own strength and will is something that we all need to do to progress with God. First, when when Uzzah was struck dead, David was angry. He had been humiliated in the front of all of Israel. Why was God so strict and so severe towards his good intentions. And then came fear. It drew David to his knees. For three months, David sought God whilst the ark stayed at Obed-Edom. He laid everything down, and he discovered how the ark should be moved and realised the magnitude of his sin. 
he began to fall in love with God again. The God who came to give him a second chance. And this second attempt that we've just read, David surrounded himself this time with priests who had been sanctified, who had sanctified themselves, who had prepared themselves to come into the presence of God. The ark was this time transported, not on an ox cart, but on the shoulders of the priests, according to God's word. The Levites were instructed to sing and play. This was a joyful time of celebration. Everything was done in a way that pleased God. David wanted no glory for himself, only for God. And so he took off his royal robes and replaced them with a priestly effort. He knew that there was no measure of rank, status, achievement or wealth that had any weight or bearing or significance in his worship. Why? Because God is so much bigger, so much more magnificent, more awesome, more compassionate, greater than anything that we can bring to him. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags before God. As the hymn writer wrote, you'll notice I do like hymns ever such a lot. As the hymn writer wrote, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. David was leaping, unlike the children, he was leaping and dancing and praising God. The Hebrew has many words for dance and this word that's used here, kavar, is a twirling dance, a spinning around, a weaving, a binding oneself to God. Imagine a kite, where's Mark? Imagine a kite, and you've got that string and the kite in the air, and as you reel up the string, the kite comes closer and closer. And this is what that dance was like for David. It was just like a cord that was between him and God, drawing him closer to God as he danced. Closer and closer. And we see that reflected in different parts of scripture. Hosea 11 verse 4, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving devotion. James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So as we've seen, every six steps the priest took, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Why David and not the priests? Because David needed to appropriate that sacrifice for himself. The cross has replaced the Old Testament sacrifices and each of us needs to apply that reality of the cross, all that the cross means in our lives. He was saying, David was saying with every six steps, I am still a sinner in need of a saviour. Every six steps. How far can, do we think we can get? Every six steps, I am still a sinner in need of a saviour. Roy Hessian wrote, Our discovery is simply that we are bigger sinners than we thought we were and that Jesus is a bigger saviour than we thought he was. No cause for pride in that, surely.
David humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Thank God that he disciplines those he loves. Without that discipline, without that forgiveness and that grace, we would be utterly lost. When the ark had been delivered, the rejoicing and the celebrating didn't stop. (coughs) David blessed the people. He couldn't contain it. That love of God, that ocean of love of God just spilled out from him. He blessed the people, not just in word, but in action. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to every single person there. All I can say is bless those in the kitchen. (laughs) I know a little bit about that. (laughs) And all the people, it says, went to their homes. And I believe that they went home happy and satisfied and joyful and content. And David, in that same spirit, in that generous heart of God, went to bless his own household. Have you ever had a time when you've experienced God in a beautiful way? When you are fully present in God's presence, locked in his embrace, when you just want to linger there a little bit longer. But eventually you've got to turn and you've got to face again the normality of everyday life. And something hits you like a ton of bricks, like a cold shower, like a train wreck. Magnify that as David entered his home. Michal's outburst was loaded with years of resentment, bitterness, rejection, hurt and pain as she came at him, all guns a-blazing. She hadn't participated in that worship. She'd been a spectator. David's response was also laced with frustration after years of seemingly endless battle with Saul and an irritation, something that came in the way of God's anointing on David's life. Saul was not a man after God's own heart, but a man lusting after power, a man of the flesh. And at this point in the account, Michal is called Saul's daughter, not David's wife. And I believe that at this point, through David's mouth, God says, enough, enough, enough of this battle between the flesh and the spirit. I have chosen David because he is a man after my own heart. Then we come to verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this and I will become even more humiliated in my own eyes. I've wrestled with this a bit. I've got to confess, this hasn't been easy, but I believe God has, has uh, shown me something that I want to bring today, and I just ask you to test this against Scripture and against the Spirit. You can disagree with me. I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm not going to take any offence at that. But just explore what I believe God has said to me in this. I believe that David had a giant lurking in the shadows. We can see it in its infancy early on, but in its full-grown murderous intent when he commits adultery. David battled with lust throughout his life, but never dealt with it or confronted it until his adultery with Bathsheba was exposed by the prophet Nathan. At the beginning of his life, or you know, towards the beginning and certainly of this account, David married Michal, Saul's daughter. It was seen as a match that would would empower his kingship. But why did he need that? God had anointed him as king. He didn't need anything of the flesh 
to empower him in that. Twice we're told that Michal loved David. Never in scripture does it say that David loved Michal. Was this a lust for power? David's head was turned by a pretty face. During David's separation from Michal, he married not just one, but six other women. And when he returned, we're told he took more wives and concubines. This was directly against God's instruction for Israel's king. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, we're told that the king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Did David think that God's law didn't apply to him? Was he exempt because he was the king? Later, David commanded Michal to be returned to him after she'd been given to, by her father to another husband. Are we looking at the lust of control? This sin, this giant in David's life, was never dealt with until it manifested in all its hideous determination. David's adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. A lust for sex, a lust for power, a lust for control. This was a man who loved God, who had experienced intimacy with God, and yet somehow had allowed this giant to grow in the shadows of his heart. When Nathan confronted him, it meant this giant was no longer lurking in the shadows, but exposed for what it was. David was truly humiliated in his own eyes and completely undignified. He owned his sin for what it was. He tore his clothes, he fasted, and he spent nights lying on the ground. True humilia humiliation in his own eyes. It was a similar reaction to Job's reaction on hearing the destruction of his family. The difference being that David had brought it on himself and he knew it. He had broken the heart of the God he loved. What can we learn from this? No one is exempt from the laws of God. We need to heed Jesus' words on lust. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. All other thin sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. We need to get any giants out of the darkness and into the light and cut them down dead. I'm going to have a look at Michal now. And then we're going to see how we can apply some of these things to our own lives. Michal was given to David by her father Saul. Saul? And it says she was given to him as a snare because Saul wanted David to be killed as he got the bride price for her. But she wasn't a snare to David. At the beginning, she was a blessing to David. Twice it says in scripture that she loved David. She helped him escape 
when Saul wanted to kill him at the risk of her own life, she faced her father's wrath for David. When David fled, Saul gave her to another husband, Paltiel. Can you imagine how she felt when she received news that David had taken other wives? What would that do to a woman? When David returned and Saul was dead, he demanded that Michal be returned to him as if she were his property. She was taken from her husband, Paltiel, and a very tragic scene unfolds. Samuel 2, uh, 2 Samuel 3, verse 16 says, But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. Picture the scene. Michal, abandoned by David, had been given to Paltiel. They lived out of the limelight. There was, there was nothing in scripture that tells us what that marriage was like. But this man, Paltiel, dearly loved her, didn't want her to go, and came behind that group of people, those people taking her away back to David. He was weeping. Can you imagine that? But she seemed to go willingly. Did David click his fingers and off she went to be his wife again with all the trappings that that brought with it? Was she deceived by a lie? A desire for something long promised to her, but out of reach? Paltiel's name means deliverance of God, from the verb palat, meaning to bring in security, into security. I wonder whether when she was with Paltiel, that she was living under the shadow of God's wing. His reaction to her being taken away reminds me of the compassionate father in the account of the prodigal son. I can imagine that father standing there. Let, I can't imagine that father standing there, letting his son run off with the loot, knowing full well what he was going into, what his heart was drawn to, the fleeting pleasures of this world that are so empty and worthless and leave us broken and crushed. I can imagine the father, like this husband, maybe not physically, maybe just in his heart, but following after, weeping, begging, pleading for this prodigal to rethink before it's too late, before the damage is done. But there comes a point when the father had to turn back and let him go, just as Paltiel had to release her. Michal had been crushed by unrequited love, rejected by her husband, used by her father, let down by most of the men in her life, clinging to the empty, deceitful promises of the enemy. She became a snare, not to David, but to herself. I'm not surprised that she couldn't reconcile David's act of worship with his treatment of her. What she saw as David took off his kingly robes was the death of her dream to be the king's wife. Can you blame her for her outburst? In all honesty, I've got to confess a measure of sympathy with her. After years of neglect and being discarded, David could hardly expect to find a devoted, loving wife. She had not been invited on the journey he'd been on. She'd been on her own journey, but it left her aloof, untouched by the presence of God, her heart hard 
and unresponsive. That's what sin does. It gives us a heart of stone instead of a heart of flesh. She was left a widow and an orphan. Neither men in her life were good role models of what a father or husband should be. But how would you write the end of her story? What would you do today if you were confronted with a woman or a man full of bitterness and scorn? She's been the victim of others in her life who are stronger and more powerful than she is. There's one study that I read which just delighted my heart. It said if a king rejected his wife, she could not go and just marry anyone. The only person who could marry her was another king. How beautiful is that? Who would marry Michal? I can tell you. The king of kings. Hallelujah. Isaiah 54 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. This could have been written for her. And in the light of the cross, we can say of Michal, in Christ, she would no longer, be, no longer be rejected, but accepted and welcomed. No longer an orphan, but a child of God. No longer a widow, but her husband is her God. No longer a victim, but living with a vision of who she truly is in Christ. No longer mourning, no longer heartbroken, but comforted. No longer living with a spirit of despair, but clothed in a garment of praise. No longer covered in ashes, but bestowed with a crown of beauty. This is what our God does. He takes weak, hopeless, helpless lives that are presented and offered to him and through Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus dying on the cross for all our sin, he makes things beautiful in his time. So I just want to finish now. Draw all these things together, looking at David, looking at Michal, looking a little bit of Paltiel, see how we can appropriate that to our lives. First thing, Derek Prince wrote, when God sets a standard, we cannot lower it. When God sets conditions, we have no authority to change them. We cannot go down to men's standards. We have to stand where God sets us. We do not set the mark, God does. Janet always said to me when she was teaching me some of the um, accounts in the office, she said, the bank is always right. Okay? Sometimes that was a bit scary because my things didn't line up with the bank, but I knew what had to change. It was what I had done that had to change, not what the bank done, did. And that's the same with God. Sin is sin. God is always right. doesn't matter whether you are the king of Israel, whether you are the lowliest servant, God is right. I found that out um, in 2015. I uh, went to work on the 11th of... November and succumbed to a virus but I had been living something that I just could not sustain and I ended up being off work with 
uh, stress and anxiety and severe depression for 10 months. And during that time, God is gracious and he's wonderful and he's marvellous and he gently comes alongside and disciplines. And he told me in the quietness of one early morning and he said, I am not a hard taskmaster. Don't live as if I am. What image of God was I portraying to my family, to the people that I worked with, about who God is, that God is my provider, that God is my sustainer. And I had to find that out the hard way. But God is gracious. God disciplines those he loves. One other thing that God taught me at that time as well was that I was living in unbelief. <laughs> what? A sin as severe, as heinous as adultery. Because I'd taken that promise that Jesus gave when he said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And I had parked that because it was so foreign to what I was going through at the time. And I'd parked that and said, that must be for retirement. That must be for a time in the future. That must be for something else that isn't now. Because what I was experiencing, what I was going through, certainly wasn't abundant life. But you know what? The bank is always right. God is always right, and it didn't take God to move. It took me to realign myself to the, what God had promised. So my encouragement to you would be, submit to God's discipline, embrace it and enjoy it, knowing that God disciplines those he loves. One of the symptoms of depression is not wanting to carry on living. And as close away as last Easter, somebody prayed a blessing over me. And they said, with long life will God bless you. And I was like, no, thank you. I don't want that. And I had to go back to, go to God again and say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. And God is putting on my heart a scripture in Psalm 118 verse 17 that says I shall not die I will live and declare the works of God hallelujah and if anybody is feeling that way that it's not worth living may God bring you to that place where you can say I will not die I will live and I will declare the works of the Lord okay number two Maybe like Paltiel, you have grieved over someone who has walked out of your life. I had a dream as I was preparing this, again in the early hours, that's what God seems to do with me, I suppose there's not so much going on in my brain at that time. And it was a dream of Jesus walking along the shore with a person, and he was listening intently to that person, that person was pouring out their heart to God. And as they were pouring out their heart to God, Jesus was just gathering this all up in a ball, a ball of grief, and a ball of pain, and a ball of hurt. And they came, and as the sun was setting, they sat down on the edge of the ocean. And it was the vast ocean of God's love, 
And Jesus put that ball just very gently, very tenderly, very carefully onto the, onto the shoreline where the waves come in and they just lap over that ball and it's the waves of God's love and it's a lapping over that ball that ball of grief that ball of pain that ball of sorrow was just dissolving into the love of God weeping may endure for a night and that night might last a long time but joy comes in the morning if you have got a prodigal ask God to help you to look past the pigsty to his promises. Don't give up praying. Keep your hope in God. And finally, if you can identify yourself in some way with Michal, know that God's love is not like any human love. God is extending his hand to you today and asking if you would like to dance with him. Will you accept? And I'm going to finish with Hebrews 12, where it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. got there <laughs> hallelujah I'm going to ask the worship team to come up I do think as we sing these songs that if you need to respond to that in any way please respond to God if you need to come and receive prayer the prayer team will be there afterwards but we will pray for you as well if you need to respond to God if you want to just put out your hand and into God's hand and start that dance with him do it but let's just take some time just to not rush on but just to to appropriate that cross again to our hearts and just my sin oh the bliss of that glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul